Welcome to Back at Push's Heavy Networking. Now, we've been discussing the Sonic Network Operating System for quite some time here, and its momentum continues across the industry. We've done a couple of shows recently on it, and we've talked about it from the Microsoft point of view and how they're seeing it evolve, and then we did a show with our sponsor just a little while ago. But more recently, what we're actually seeing is an emerging discussion around SmartNICs and the networking features that they bring inside the server. Now, it's a reality that virtual networking moved the data center edge inside the server, I want to say, in the early 2010s, and it's been working out really well. The success of VMware's NSX product and the raw emergence of um, EVPN and VXLAN technology sort of demonstrate that this edge networking model in the data center has been a hit with customers and good for security and for business. But as time has moved on, the need for more is upon us, naturally. Everything in networking is about more. More performance is key, but it's not just about increased data rates. So sure, servers running at 100 gigabits per second are starting to burn up multiple CPU cores, but what we're really talking about is packet manipulation. In fact, the whole data processing aspect, load balancing, firewalls, app inspection, security inspection, flow exports, and how do we deliver all of these networking features without burning up the entirety of the server architecture? So we're getting a problem where the CPUs inside the server are not the most efficient way to handle this. And in today's sponsored show with Dell Networking, we are discussing the use of Sonic as an operating system for SmartNICs. Now, the principle is that we need a common mode of consuming SmartNICs for services. We'll be discussing things like P4, FPGAs versus ASICs, architectures of SmartNICs. And Ehab Tarazi is a Senior Vice President and Networking CTO at Dell Technologies, and he's going to be talking about how Sonic can be part of the SmartNICs and how Dell Technologies is approaching the emergence of this technology. Well, Ehab, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Let's kick it off with talking about do SmartNICs need an operating system? How does that that's not something I've I've mentally got an image of until now. Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. This is, uh, I'm a big fan of all your shows and I'm really happy to be on it for once here. Um, <laughs> SmartNICs, I think, is, um, is the future architecture. It's, we haven't had a big change of infrastructure architecture for a long time. And this is the first set of architecture that technology just finally made possible being able to have a combination of uh, a server and a network switch in one, but more importantly, in a small enough form factor that you could put in many other infrastructure components or stand alone if you want to for some of the key edge applications. So once you have combined the CPU capability, something like 16 ARM cores plus, and you have a significant enough EA6 switch that can give you 200 megabits or gigabits per second in terms of switching capacity, you have to have a way to operate and manage that. So <laughs> that's why you need an operating system. So at least for the CPU component, you do need some kind of an OS so you can deploy uh, capabilities on it and network functions, uh, et cetera. So the idea here is that the NIC itself, up until now, we've sort of got a model of them as just having a driver right? The operating system has a driver and the driver talks southbound to the ASIC that's on the NIC, right? And the driver runs all the software components. So it presents an API to the operating system, you know, whether it's Linux or Windows or whatever, that's fundamentally the model here. But the CPU processing 
of packetization and all that sort of stuff is actually done by the CPU. So the fundamental idea behind SmartNICs is we're actually saying, instead of saying, here's the data, here's the frame format, here's the rewriting functions, please do the rest and encode it and send it on the wire. The SmartNICs actually uh, becoming much more active. And in the same way that a GPU takes, you know, here, go and display this image. And then off it goes and works out the ray tracing and the vector maps and the colors and all that sort of stuff. The operating system doesn't have to do so much work. Is it that, am I right on that? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it goes further than that. And we're at early stages of SmartNICs, but it takes on security functions. It takes on the ability to connect directly to GPUs. So we're starting with dedicated CPU and an operating system so it can be in its own brain and do one at once. But piece by piece, the SmartNIC will be a fully self-contained mini server per se, or a mini network switch. Right. And we're actually seeing, just to take this to extremes, this is not what we're going to talk about today, we're actually seeing SmartNICs being used more than just for networking and packet processing and data transmission. We're actually seeing them being used as storage acceleration units. So there are some companies out there who are using SmartNICs to do software-based storage and to perform acceleration. So they're doing the CRC checks and the, the storage encapsulations and the read-write process to offload it from the CPU. Uh, that's an extreme. But I think the challenge here is if we're going to use the SmartNIC for firewalls, for threat detection, for generating flow records, we need to recognize that the SmartNIC needs to have a software operating system in the similar way to a computer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to use the same exact operating system as the server. So mostly, for the most part, though, what we're talking about here is Linux-type operating systems, very similar to compute. And uh, you could have a server that's running a version of Linux, but then you can have a different operating system on the SmartNIC that can perform the additional offloaded functions. And what we're talking about here is that Sonic is one of those Linux-based operating systems with heavy focus on networking protocols that if you put a Linux-based Sonic operating system on the SmartNIC, and then you have on the server your standard Linux OS, you have the best of both worlds. You can run networking protocols on the SmartNIC and customize your networking experience. And uh, at the same time, continue to have the server operate all the compute functions for the application and offload some of the pieces of the, ser of the server CPU to the SmartNIC and get much better performance for the compute side. So there's one bit of architecture here, Ihab, that, um, that would be helpful to clear up. When we think of NICs, they're uh, a piece of hardware that sits on the bus and the server sees them and, oh, this is the NIC, this is where I'm going to send um, data that needs to go out on the Ethernet. With a SmartNIC here, the way you're describing this new architecture for a SmartNIC that's got CPU components, and it's really like it's a it's a mini network switch, and it's got its own processing uh, power. It's a little server kind of all to itself. How does Linux and the host actually see the SmartNIC now? What does it see that's there? Does it present itself just like a regular network card, or is there some communication more at an OS level, like between Linux and Sonic in this case? Yeah, I, excellent question. Most of the most of this offload function and determining where what capabilities reside where and how the communication between them is going to be done in a hypervisor 
or some kind of a controlled software above the OS. And that's why this, this is use case specific, as you said before. If it's a storage offload, then it's a storage controlled software that will do so. If you're using it for AI, which is one of the use cases, then that software will determine that you that the SmartNIC can directly connect to the GPU, bypassing the CPU, for example. And for networking, we think that function will be done by the network functions and the network fabric or SDN controller that goes above all of these capabilities that will be downloaded in the CPU above the Linux OS. So Sonic is generally used for networking, like we know of Sonic as a network switch operating system, right? That's where it is today. Can we adapt Sonic then for use on this? I mean, obviously you're saying you can, but how do we? What is it about Sonic that makes it suited for, well, you're saying SmartNICs generally. I mean, can it run on all brands of SmartNICs in theory? Uh, we're at early stages of SmartNICs, but, uh, but the reality is that, yes, it can run on just about every SmartNIC, as, as long as the SmartNIC allows uh, basic Linux OS deployment to be possible, and most of them do. And the SmartNIC needs to have an SDK to enable the deployment and management of that kind of software. What's unique about Sonic is the way we designed it jointly within the community from the start. It's a modular OS, so you don't have to deploy all the components of, of, of Sonic. You can deploy only the protocol you want. It's a because it's containerized cloud native, and mm -hmm. therefore you could you could deploy a smaller version of the standard Sonic on a smart NIC and be able to only bring with you the protocols you care about. In fact, the community already has a version of Sonic that was done for smart NICs by by some of the community players as already. Right. So it already so in effect there's a prototype or an early version of the idea already out there. If you know what to look for, you could go and get it and start playing with it. So I think what we're leaning into here is the idea that Sonic, right from the very beginning, was uh, using containers to host the various protocol functions. So it wasn't trying to lob everything into the kernel or into a monolith. And so you have all of these containers. So the idea would be is that you choose your SmartNIC to some extent, you know, it needs to have a compatibility table in the same way that switches do. So the parallel seems to be there. And I can then deploy Sonic and then choose which containers it runs, which tells me which functions it needs to run. Yep, that's correct. Exactly. So two pieces of it. Piece one, standard compatibility, which is just like any Linux OS, how you deploy it and manage it. And the second thing is what components of Sonic you bring in based on what protocols are needed. Additionally, on top of that, most people will deploy some kind of containerized functions for the actual work that is done. So for example, that NVMe over TCP IP function for the storage offload would mm -hmm. be another capability you would deploy on top of Sonic. Now, would I go and get a distribution of Sonic to do that? Or would I just choose which containers to load? Would I go to a and would I get open source? Or like, are they widely available? Or do I go and buy them from a from somebody? Yeah, very good questions. Those are the biggest topics that are being discussed right now in the community. Yeah. And most people are leaning towards uh, community Sonic. 
and then but you have to create a certain version specifically for SmartNICs. And it is likely that that version may be different by hardware vendors because of SI compatibility and SI extensions that are going to be mm-hmm. needed to integrate with the hardware. So SAI uh, is a switch abstraction interface, and it's the key part of the Sonic operating system that in a, that interacts with the underlying forwarding silicon. Now, a SmartNIC is not a computer architecture per se. It's actually got a CPU and a memory module for there are types of SmartNICs, if I remember rightly. Some of them are just ASICs, and they're configured in such a way that they accelerate networking traffic. When we talk about SmartNICs, we're talking about those that actually have CPU and memory architectures as well as a forwarding ASIC as well. So they're actually quite complex. Yeah, that's correct. I um, SmartNICs have made a, a long journey. Some of them today have FPGA for acceleration, and um, while those are very useful, the capabilities we're talking about on this discussion here is all about the EASIC, which mm-hmm. has a whole switch. It's a mini switch with all the forwarding capabilities. And also it has programmability with things like P4. And then you have CPU and memory with the ability to manage that environment with security and be able to install with an SDK. That combination is what's needed for the full SmartNIC functionality that we're talking about. So you said a, a key word there, which is eASICs. And I think there's a transition going on in the silicon manufacturing industry where we're seeing companies like Intel turn to an architecture called chiplets, which is this idea that a that an ASIC is actually not one big chip, but actually many small chips on a single substrate. And that is a, is that a key transition in SmartNIC hardware? That's a key transition in general for all CPU and SmartNICs are pushing the boundary of technology. We're going to the EASIC design is critical to meet the, the, the form factor as well as the power consumption and being able to get the scale needed uh, to support the meaningful amount of applications. All right. And some SmartNIC makers are using FPGAs, and this is a, a, a programmable ASIC in a way. Now, FPGAs sort of trade off the fact that they're programmable in a, in a, in a flexible way. They're not actually programmable on the fly, but they can be reprogrammed and re-architected, but they trade off uh, performance and power consumption against that. Are they going to be able to run Sonic as well? Like are makers with FPGA capabilities able to participate here? No, we while we use uh, FPGA-based uh, NICs and smart NICs for specific applications, uh, FPGA-based smart NICs uh, cannot be a switch replacement. Um, they they are not capable of running standard Sonic, community Sonic. The programmability yeah. is also more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Different vendors provide common compilers, especially for P4, so you can yeah. program both FPGA and non-FPGA-based. However, in general, FPGA is more of a custom design for a very specific use. And yeah. programmability takes a while. So you it's not a model that you want to continue to change for different use cases. And um, you wouldn't be able to leverage Sonic because Sonic uses SI yeah, and SI has a standard module for talking to the ASIC forwarding engine. That's correct. Also, the big thing is uh, you're not going to get the power efficiency we're talking about here. It's, these EASIC-based smart NICs can get you into the 25-watt range, 
And okay. FPGA based is back is out in the 75 plus. Um, mm. That's a huge range when you're talking about uh, edge applications. Um, yeah. But you said it correctly. It's uh, you cannot use Sonic. It doesn't have the, the standard SI interface or any of the capabilities. So being able to take advantage of all the community innovation in Sonic requires this new EASIC based SmartNICs. Okay, so we've, what we've covered so far is the idea that a SmartNIC can offload traffic and pro, from the offload traffic processing from the CPU onto the NIC to take advantage of the acceleration engine in a conceptually similar way to a GPU or even for AI and ML, uh, a TPU, you know, the, the, the idea that there is AI processing. And, but the question now is if I've got a programmable NIC in the data plane between the network and the CPU, how do we access those functionalities? Is there well-defined APIs? Are there well-defined um, methodologies? Like we've got DPDK, we've got P4, we've got a whole bunch of ideas about it. Let's dig into that. Yeah, the the, the industry has not been well-defined, but we're finally converging on two methods, DPDK for some suppliers and P4 for others. And in general, there's growing consensus that the whole industry is going to move to P4 as the standard interface. Um, right. There's lots of, lots of advantages to P4, the ability to be able to program the pipeline, the ability to collect analytics data. More importantly, it's just a, a much easier way to program a highly distributed system. Think thousands of smart NICs on an edge application or 5G you're going to need common interfaces like P4 to interface to network fabrics to program all these data planes. And that's important because P4 has actually been around for quite a while now. So there's a community there. We're not starting at ground zero trying to introduce, you know, some new acronym for an API definition so we can just leverage existing code bases and stuff for, for defining. Like I can go out today to p4.org and download modules for a simple firewall. And if I'm a vendor looking to deliver a service or if I'm a, a company looking to add firewalling functions to my SmartNICs, there's lots of code I can immediately draw in to be able to start that process, right? Absolutely. There's a whole community around P4, lots of network switches based on P4, lots of the FPGA-based SmartNICs are based on P4 as well with specific compilers. Um, so if you take a step back, we are choosing the path of using standard community-based Sonic and take a components of them for SmartNICs and industry-based P4 for the programmability. The combination of the two extends all the capabilities that we have today for networking and even for some of the CPU functions to these new SmartNICs everywhere. So I want to ask about, obviously, because you've progressed so far, you must be partnered with other companies to do this. Dell partners with companies in all directions, software, hardware, you know, some for ASICs and some for whatever you do. So who are the partners that you're looking at today to make Sonic get legs and, and carry the momentum forward into the market? Who, who am I looking for to say there's a momentum, there's an industry here? Yeah, the, the three key partners for the for all these smart NICs for us are NVIDIA, Intel, and Pensando. All three of them are working with us actively on this architecture. And uh, we we have announced before lots of engagement with them. And we plan to launch Sonic-based SmartNICs with all of them. Would I do it? 
So if I'm an enterprise, like I can certainly imagine with the architecture that you're talking about, we'll talk about use cases for SmartNex in a little while and about the sort of applications that you want. But let's let's just quickly identify the, the elephant in the room, which is if I'm an enterprise architect and I'm looking at my on-prem data center and I'm looking at moving some stuff to the cloud, but what I want to do is have less servers and take up less space in my colo because my colo charges me a lot. Can SmartNex help me with that? Or is the burden of deploying SmartNex going to be too high and it's easier to, or is this a cloud technology? Is this something that the big cloud companies are going to be able to leverage? You know, the lots of enterprises are working on SmartNex or talking to us today about them. The, the big use case for them, it's a direct extension of the Sonic benefit. They, they do like the ability to have a programmable operating system where they can control what protocols and how to add its network capabilities, you know, get observability, detect outages, mm. improve network diversity, survivability. For large clusters of servers, if they take the next step to go to SmartNix, that's, the, that's what they're looking at right now, they can significantly optimize networking all the way to the server. So yeah. while Sonic helped them optimize networking at that Tor and aggregation switch level, they would like to take that networking programmability and simplicity and all the control directly to the server, which SmartNix allows them to do. So, Ihab, does this drive the selection of partner then? Like my use case, would I pick you know, an NVIDIA or Intel or a Pensando based on what problem I'm trying to solve? Or is it kind of like, yeah, they're all making harder hardware and you know, kind of whatever? I think this there's some differentiation between the vendors here because the SmartNICs also have on them specific offload functions for security, firewalls, east-west communication, and they're not all the same in terms of the amount of CPU or the mm. size of the switch or the speed. And therefore, the multiple choices based on the use case that uh, customers, you know, enterprise customers are going to look at. Yeah. So the NVIDIA SmartNIC through the Mellanox uh, acquisition has the Bluefield chipset, which has, um, I think the current generation has eight ARM CPU cores on it and 16 gigs of memory. And then it has the Bluefield SOC, which actually does the networking functionality on it, right? And so what you're suggesting is that that model would work well for a specific group of functions, maybe compared to, say, the Intel SmartNICs, which are, you know, where they've got their approach, which is probably going to be much more of a, you know, the, a single SOC on a, on a board type of model with a lot of high-density, clever Intel stuff on it. Is that the sort of – so you're saying each SmartNIC will have some – Specific yep, capabilities absolutely. or performance. Yeah, and also even with the Bluefield example, there's also the future Bluefield Three, who has which has more CPU and more capacity. This is even within the same vendor. There's a family of SmartNICs where you may you may not want to pay for the high performance, biggest capacity if your use case requires half of that. You know, so yeah. it's going to be that kind of combination. What we're working hard with the vendors is to make it simple for customers to use it by implementing Sonic and P4 so that there's no barrier to using it from a software and application perspective. And then it becomes more about feature right. function and capability. So as a customer, I'm expecting to be able to, the most important part here is that whatever I put on the top, whether it's VMware or some other hypervisor or 
you know, whatever, or if I'm a cloud provider and I'm using some sort of Zen hypervisor or KVM hypervisor, I want to be able to talk to the smart NICs in a standardized way. And if those smart NICs are running the Sonic operating system, then there's a level of consistency there. I know that I'm going to write my hypervisor to access the features that are available and to load some sort of software into the container of the Sonic that give me the features I want. Yeah, and beyond that, you want to be able to extend your networking capabilities from the switch to the smart NIC without having to do something special for the smart NIC. So, so the first thing is you want consistency on your networking between your switches and smart NICs, and Sonic right. gives you that consistency. The second thing is you want to be able to put any software you want on top of it. And the third, more important, is that networking is now evolving into containerized network functions and it's an ecosystem of them. Yeah. Without providing a consistent environment, we're not going to be able to build that ecosystem, let's say 5G network functions or firewalls or load balancers. Yeah. So, so when you refer to containers, you're referring to the idea that if I want a firewall, I won't boot a VM with a firewall. I mean, the days of the physical firewall are already behind us. There's still yeah. a transition going on, but that functionally the vendors aren't looking forward to selling more physical firewalls to customers unless they ask for them. They're much more about, can I put it in a VM? You're hinting here that I will actually buy a firewall or find a firewall that I could shove into a container on the Sonic operating system in the SmartNIC. That's correct. In this world that we're moving into, and I can tell you, I'm, I'm going to use 5G as an example. We just deployed mm. uh, one of the first fully containerized 5G networks from edge to core where every single service and application is a containerized function. So right. the networking is completely moving to containers. Smart NICs are simply how you deploy these containers. And See, now that's really interesting because what you're saying is you've got a 5G RAN, the edge of the network, there's a building with a radio tower going up the top. And so the signal coming off the radio tower used to be handled by a physical radio decoder thing, and now we're doing that digitally. We decode the signal into a, from an analog signal into digital and then shove it into a pile of software that then decodes it and reads your packets off the 5G network. So that's the first change. The second change is that behind that, those packets then have to be authenticated, they have to be scanned, they have to be logged for billing purposes. You've got a whole bunch of uh, government oversight requirements there, you know, is the person a suitable thing? You know, there's lawful intercept and things like that. Uh, what you're saying is all of those functions that used to be proprietary hardware boxes are all now in containers. So the whole thing is just a container, x86 servers with some sort of, you know, hypervisor infrastructure that just spawns containers on the top. Yeah, absolutely. And where we're networking and smart NICs coming into that picture is for some specific capabilities, x86 will not give you the performance without acceleration. Like yeah. what you just said, that coding decoding function, the forward error correction, the FEC function of the signal coming off the radio to now a server at the base of a cell tower, that is where SmartNIC fits in mm -hmm. so that it can do all the acceleration and all the optimization of performance with this coding decoding. The thing you're trying to get away from here too is you're trying not to do routing on custom silicon or on dedicated silicon. You just still want to be able to route at 100 gigabits per second off out from the pop, right? So so where the bottom, at the bottom of the tower, you'll have a 10, 20, 100 gig 
you know, network uplink or probably multiples as we go forward. And you want to be able to route, even for simple things, just the routing engine. You don't want to be using a whole x86 operating system to do that. You don't want to burn a whole server just to route packets. What you want to be able to do is just say, here's a VM, here's a, sorry, not a VM, a container. And the container just basically loads the functions into the smart NIC and 25 watts for a 100 gig router is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a very sophisticated uh, new architecture. So everything from uh, all these different network functions we have to things like monitoring, things like uh, network slicing. How do you actually slice the network real time, which needs AI applications? Those also fit on smart NICs. And then when you look at the wireless services from you know, voice over LTE to all the services we had in 4G, plus all the new subscriber management services, eSIM provisioning, spectrum management, private mobility, all of those are now containerized 5G services that need to be working on some kind of a platform. X86 clearly is the base and vast majority of what these will be, but then specific acceleration at specific places is what's required. Hmm. It's it's interesting to, that the architecture of this is something been implicit in this whole conversation. We're not managing individual smart NICs. We're managing a bunch of smart NICs scattered over a bunch of servers with some kind of centralized software that is leveraging those smart NICs as um, compute resources in its arsenal to deploy VNFs or you know in, in this in the container form factors we've been talking about and so on. Yeah, that's uh, when we when we had the discussion at the beginning about what what makes the decision between what goes on the smart NIC, what goes in the CPU. This is correct, and as you just pointed out, Ethan, it's also how do you manage a collection of smart NICs? Yeah. Um, so the idea of network fabrics and software defined networking that has been evolving for many years is finally got to a place where it's truly software defined networking. These are containers that can reside anywhere. Mm. And the implications could be scary for some of the network administrators because you can't have a fixed topology anymore. There is no more hierarchy. Containers could show up anywhere. You could be deployed any place. Yeah. The communication is as much sideways as you know going up and down. So can I, I'm going to ask a, an interesting question here. There's two possible approaches to this idea of managing SmartNICs. And one is that we have a SmartNIC controller somewhere, right? That there's an application out there that reaches out and talks to the SmartNICs and then manages them as instances and provides the SmartNIC service, if you like, right? There's also another model that I could consider, which is somebody like VMware with their ESX hypervisor. They could actually run ESX directly on these smart NICs. It'd still be Sonic there, but the ESX hypervisor would run inside the Sonic as well. And so when the server is up and running, the VMs are running on the CPUs. So the VMs, you know, they're talking to all of the hypervisor, you know, accessing all the hardware acceleration of the x86 CPU to make the, you know, the ESX hypervisor engines. But the actual underlying operating system that spawns those VMs sits and runs on the smart NICs. I could see that VMware would like to take control of those smart NICs and do it itself, but I could also see that there would be a value-add potential for companies to come along and say, I've got an SDN controller type, I've got a controller architecture to manage the smart NICs independently, and you could talk to me. Is, is both 
viable? Is there a competitive space? Is there, you know, how's that look? No, no, this is, you're absolutely correct. Both are viable and both are very important use cases. So for the use case that you talked about, about optimizing performance of compute, we are working with VMware and we're launching SmartNix with the new VMware software called ESX.io. It's a small version of ESX and that is specifically control performance and the security on the SmartNIC itself. The use case, that use case is focused about specifically improving the performance of compute of the applications on top of compute by specifically yes. taking off. That, that use case is slightly different than the one we were talking about, which is how do you optimize networking for these new network applications? So, but but it points to the fact that now you can see that the different software stacks that are going to go on these smart NICs and different use cases. Sometimes it's going to be one smart NIC, one use case, like the storage offload, possibly. Yeah. Sometimes it's a cluster of smart NICs for a specific use case. Sometimes programmable remotely. Sometimes you know it's just a fixed capability right. on the smart NIC. So, and that that may feels like what we have with x86 servers today. People consume x86 servers in different ways. The same hardware fits into multiple use cases. So I think what you're what you're alluding to there is the idea that smart NICs can be used in different ways. It's up to the customer to decide what fits their model. And if that means saying, I buy VMware, I put this smart NIC in, which is compatible with it, and it can use it to run accelerated security functionality, the firewalls, the IDS, the threat detection, the load balancing, the EVPN, you know, encapsulation and all that stuff. It can accelerate all of the IO down, reduce the latency and reduce power. And also at the same time, run the ESX IO. So all of the CPU cores are now available for hypervisor activities, dramatically increasing utilization and performance, right? That's one model. But there's another model that says there's a smart NIC in here, and my job is to load multiple services onto it. So maybe I've got a controller model separate. So it's not as simple as saying smart NIC is a this, smart NIC is a, well, I'm going to reach for a trite metaphor, but smart NIC is a platform in that sense. Yeah, and you summarized it well. We're planning two sets of capabilities on the smart NIC, one about improving the performance of compute jointly with VMware, with a specific VMware stack, with all the tooling, capabilities to go with it integrated into our products like VxRail. Then we're also planning to launch what I would say networking solution of SmartNICs, which is Sonic, with all the capabilities of Sonic and the protocols, the ability to add network functions, manage it as standalone with P4, or manage it as a fabric for things like 5G and networking applications. And those are the wide two sets of capabilities that we see, you know, people are going to work through. One topic we haven't covered is service mesh. We've seen a lot of hot air expended on the idea of service mesh, (laughs) (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) It's, you know, there's more than I do, Ethan, but service mesh is kind of like, seemed like a really good idea. And then everybody rushed into it and everybody went, Ooh, Actually, not such a good idea. And now we're sort of getting the much colder take, which is could be a good idea if I can get it right, which I think is we're sort of at a point now. 
I think the interesting part about service mesh for a lot of people, if you're deploying a Kubernetes infrastructure and you start instantiating containers and you put a service mesh up, you're now in a position where you can actually do SSL offload of the service mesh and all the inspection. You can actually push that down into the SmartNet. Yeah, I uh, I think the two worlds now open up and basically because the hardware architecture is standard, just like compute and networking, as we said, and then the software architecture is Linux. So you have you have two new areas. One, bringing in all the capabilities you would use in a cloud, container management capabilities, how you deploy your containers, how you create high availability, how you distribute loads, service mesh, and all the automation, things like CNI, all of that is possible. Mm. Yeah. But number two, now you can modify the Linux kernel as well. You know, and the Linux kernel, you know, more and more of the networking capabilities going deep into the Linux kernel, which is supported by Sonic and lots of big clouds are making improvements in networking and security by bringing more stuff into the Linux kernel. I was thinking, particularly with service mesh, some of them are already starting to use P4 for defining their interface to the Linux kernel. You know, they're using eBPF. They're using yep. DPDK, so they do, you know, different service mesh solutions use different ways of talking to the network. It's not converged on a single answer. I would be hopeful that many of the service mesh people could almost, with just very small changes, suddenly find massive uh, opportunities for acceleration and making service mesh viable because so far service mesh has been a massive CPU hog for a very little game. Yeah, I, I honestly, for the first time, especially with Sonic now taking hold and now SmartNICs, I finally see a situation where networking is now opened up to all these tools that were never possible before. I don't yeah. think we, the industry has not converged on anything right now. I can say that. P4 slowly could get there. Sonic is slowly taking hold. These two have the highest chance of being the industry you know, tools once we have P4 and Sonic become more of the norm, I think all these things will, will come into play quickly. Yeah, well, it has to be said that P4 and Sonic, P4 is a way of defining the packet manipulation, right, which is key. And Sonic is a way of hosting uh, the operating system. eBPF is a way of defining packet flow through the Linux kernel. And yep. DPDK is a way of accelerating packets in the Intel CPU. These are all different things. But I, I do agree with you. We need one way to do this. And if everybody said we're going to do eBPF will always be in the Linux kernel because it has to be, right, They're cutting the pathway. But if I'm going to go with acceleration, maybe eBPF says uh, I need to do a NAT translation on this packet or I need to do a mm. some sort of port address translation. I'll just hand this off as a P4 command to the SmartNIC and then away it goes. Yeah, I, I, see, I see huge potential for that. I definitely see. I, I hope that's what happens. I'm just, man, the fragmentation we've got in the industry is insane between all the different open source projects and various approaches. It just seems like we're struggling to 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 rally around specific ways of doing these things. It just, oh, I would love to see some standardization. That would be amazing because it would just be like, okay, we're all doing this. Everyone get in line and we're doing this and now we could move forward as opposed to all the floundering around we do. Sorry, I'm ranting. I, I'm ranting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. 
I'm optimistic because the challenge that's coming with 5G, which is I think is a forcing function, the challenge we have with 5G is you have now a hundred different network functions that have to work together on thousands and thousands of locations, and you have to do it with automation. And therefore, we the luxury that network administration had before to tweak infrastructure one place at a time is not going to be possible in this new world. I want to I want to pick up on that idea of five G as a forcing function. That is viable. That's a viable point to me, in the sense that all of the telcos around the world are committing to five G at some point in the future. It might be five years. It might be ten years. And at the moment, we're seeing the early adopters put you know large scale tests are going out. As you said, you've got you're working with a customer who's already doing it today, right? So that's not a tomorrow thing. That's an inevitable thing from where I see it. And if we see the telcos who spend billions on this infrastructure pick up the concept of SmartNext, and that will force viable manufacturing volumes. It will force software. It will create compatibility because they want to be able to have portable services and transitions. Like they don't want to be stuck with like they're moving away from proprietary hardware. The idea of the proprietary load balancer and the proprietary firewall and the, the 3G PP gateway in a box, they want openness as far as is reasonable. It's not openness at any cost. It's just openness at some reasonable. If they pick that up and run with SmartNext, then yeah, it's a forcing function. The market gets mass and momentum and then the role goes from there. Yeah, I mean, it's already a given that SmartNext are needed. It's a must for 5G. Yeah. It's not a nice to have. It's not possible to meet the performance and scale at a cell tower without an acceleration provided by a smart NIC. And also, it's going to be needed for the AI function needed for network slicing of how you, you know, treat different types of traffic and segment your network. So, so that's a foregone conclusion. It's just the industry is still working through what exactly are these solutions hmm. and what they look like. But it's also reasonable to assume this will trickle down to the enterprise over time. It'll come in some sort of more packaged form. And I could see that smart NICs in servers would reduce the physical hardware footprint going forward in the sense that as the networking performance increases, then you could have less servers overall. Actually, we're living in a unique time where the enterprises are not waiting on the service providers for 5G. They're already proceeding with private wireless, private mobility, because Spectrum is now shared and possible to use with things like CBRS. So we're equally engaged with enterprise customers who are working on deploying 5G at the edge with SmartNICs being the way to do it. Right. So this is the idea of 5G being a replacement for uh, radios, like in the old days, People would walk around a building site or a mine or a construction site with a wireless, try to put some wireless data in there for computers, but they'd also have a hands, you know, then they'd have another wireless network for safety. Everybody would have safety clips, uh, safety monitors on them, and then they'd have sensors. And the idea here is that 5G would replace all of those different communication technologies into a universal standardized platform. It's not, and in addition, you now have, Smartphones. So you, when you're on the construction side or the mine in the middle of the, you know, the middle of nowhere, there is a 5G network, and you can give your employees 
just smartphones and they get all the functionality to communicate with corporate email, et cetera, et cetera. That's the idea there, isn't it? Yep. I know it can also do it fast. You don't have to, it's becoming, uh, it can displace broadband, you know, connectivity, MPLS type networks, because 5G has enough speed and, and enough scale from us, uh, you know, the, the speed of the signal, as well as the latency, that it is a viable replacement for wireline capabilities. So it's also seen as a way to get things going and activate it quickly. So you have the coverage, the security. It is could be also a replacement for Wi-Fi in some places. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, the ability to set it up quickly. And with the new licensing options, either shared spectrum is available at very cost-effective rates, or enterprises can get something called a PAL, uh, priority access license, and therefore almost have the ability to own their own spectrum. So these things are very attractive to start setting up for, you know, especially for digital transformation, you know, projects like automating yeah. factories, stores, yeah. etc. It took you- me it took me a long time to understand that 5G wasn't about about this private 5G wasn't a Wi-Fi replacement, which was one way it was pitched in the early days. And it's not a, I'm going to build a competitor to the 5G network. It's literally a way of for sites that have problems with communications today and they use radios and, you know, over, you know, pull the crane up, over, you know, that sort of stuff. They're literally going to start using smartphone type ideas with AirPods on them instead. And that has a real impact for those. Yeah, the piece of this, Greg, because I, I was with you where it's like, I'm not seeing this. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me that this would be deployed. But Ehab, you made the point. If the service providers can't roll 5G out globally quickly enough, enterprises are going to do this and uh, and fill in that gap. Yeah, that, I mean, everybody has everybody's going through two major things. Digital transformation, how do you automate stores, factories, how do you automate checkout? How do you do all of this? And uh, that's a very strong force that continues. And then the second thing is everything is getting extended more and more to the edge. As you go to the edge, you're finding connectivity doesn't exist. So, so that part of yeah. infrastructure. I could imagine big box right. stores could move away from using Wi-Fi and replace it with 5G. So every store comes with a 5G base station. I, I would say that probably the easiest one to envision, if you have pop-up type stores or kiosks, you know, that you don't need for a long period of time, you know, and you're only going to need it seasonally for two or three months. In today's model, it may take you three months just to set up wireline connectivity. Mm. So the opportunity is lost. Being able to do 5G enables you to wire up that location quickly, take advantage of seasonal requirements if need be. And then turn it off, save power, literally shut it down. Yeah. I read a story that uh, some of the 5G networks actually, uh, they shut down 50% of their infrastructure at night to save power. So they're actually powering down servers and transmitters and so forth because uh, it's not needed at certain times of the day. We just published an analysis on this open and, you know, new infrastructure of 5G and the new architecture. And because it uses x86 chipset, it actually uses power more elastically compared to traditional networking that's always on. So even if you don't turn it off at night, the load will require less 
processing to be used on the server, and therefore you get significant power efficiency just from the fact that we're moving to the standard 8x86 model. And then the SmartNIC is part of that power drive part because, yeah, if you can reduce, you know, reduce the drive, the consumption of the CPU, the power consumption from the CPU, or have less CPUs operational because you're using a more efficient ASIC for packet forwarding instead of using general purpose over the estate of hundreds or thousands of 5G base stations, your power consumption drops. And that's, well, you're using less power per bit or something like that. There'll be some arbitrary architecture. I mean, the, the concept of edge compute or small form factors for compute has existed for a long time. But the concept of combining that with networking that is programmable and flexible and being able to have high-powered networking, um, that is new. That SmartNIC opens up many use cases that were not solved before. I am sorry that we have run out of time talking with you have today. Thanks so much for coming on, Ahab. It's been great to have you here. And I'm really excited about the whole SmartNIC thing. I think you might have noticed that I've got a fair bit of passion around this topic. And I think you have sort of given me some new ideas about where it's going. And I also, probably most importantly, that it's going to happen quicker than I might have imagined. Is that reasonable? It is, but there's one thing. The smart, the, it's going to be just like with 5G, it's starting to happen. The large-scale deployment will be late this year, first half of next year, large-scale okay. deployment. But people need nine months to figure out what they want. So <laughs> we're definitely yes. in the zone. Uh, but uh, I'm just giving you a sense of this is a big change for most of these companies, from NVIDIA to they have to move to the EASIC model, they have to manufacture very complex stuff. Um, having said that, everybody's jumping into this business. So we're going to have maybe... Over time, you're going to have 10 people go into this market. But at the stage we're at today, is is still the only it's one still an emerging. The market is Bluefield 2. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, right. So this is an emerging market, and that is what the thing that we wanted to bring to you to let you know that Dell networking as a business is right at the sort of right involved in this and at the forefront of it. And if you want more information, you can go to delltechnologies.com slash networking. There's a lot more networking technology there on the page. If you want to get more information about Dell's SmartNIC strategy, get in contact with your reseller, I think, or get in contact with Dell and they can take your interest and turn it into something else if that's what you're about. And as always, you can find many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community blog and website at packetpushes.net. You can follow us on the Twitter. Is that Packet Pushes? Find us on LinkedIn, of course. And it would be so helpful if you would rate this show on your favorite podcatcher because it helps us to continue to produce this content for you and to remember and remind you that too much networking would never be enough.